Welcome to the Crossroads Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. But today I want to go to step two, part two of this whole aspect of win the day. And it's kind of a different, I need you to bear with me because in the beginning you're going to think, pastor's lost his mind, which that's okay. That's not an argument. Everybody understands that. But I want you to simply think about one concept. Mark Twain was the guy that said this. Mark Twain has a lot of amazing quotes. But to get you in the right frame of mind, here was one of my favorite quotes that I've ever heard from Mark Twain. And he said this. If you ever had to eat a live frog, I would recommend you do it first thing in the morning. That's good advice, isn't it? And then he followed it up with a second. And if you ever have to eat two live frogs, I'd encourage you to eat the bigger one first. Now you're thinking, Mickey, where are we going today? We're going to talk about eating a frog. We're going to talk about the aspect of what Mark Twain was talking about, but we're going to dive into God's Word because here's the principle, right? I think a lot of times in the process of winning the day, the issue is, is we get so intimidated by some of the major tasks that are going to be in our life that we almost don't want to tackle those things. And what Mark Twain was trying to explain in that very simple comment was, you know what? One of the things that you can do that's really going to help your life move forward, really going to help you move forward, is to examine your life And when you wake up, why don't you just tackle the biggest, baddest thing first? Like rather than having this thing that's going to kind of hang over your head and be there all day long that you're thinking about, how about, you know what, if I've got to eat a live frog, then as soon as I wake up, you know what, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to eat that thing. Because after that, the rest of the day, it's downhill from there, right? And if I've got to eat two live frogs, you know what, I'm going to prioritize that. I'm going to eat the biggest one first. Why? Because I sure don't want to eat that small one and be nasty and grossed out and thinking I still got a bigger one coming. And so I want you just to think about that for a minute as we dive into God's Word and we talk about the aspect of winning the day. How do we acknowledge the things that we need to do? How do we determine what's important? Like that's really the concept, right? If you've been with us for a while, you would know that at the very beginning, the very first Sunday of this year, we launched our 2021 theme. And it was the thing that you see on some people's shirts that simply says, For Cleveland. Like we wanted to prioritize what is the one thing that we want to do? What is the one thing that we think we can do that have the greatest impact? Let's go accomplish that thing first. And one of the things we talked about is we want people to know that we are for God and we are for them. And so that's kind of what Mark Twain was talking about. Identifying priorities in your life and trying to figure out what tasks may be tough, but making a commitment that, you know what, I'm going to go tackle those things. And so it made me think of another question. I wonder what really is important to God. Like, I wonder what, what is the main thing for God. What's the most important thing to Christ? And I want you to turn with me to Mark. Mark chapter 12. This account is actually in three of the four Gospels. It's in Matthew and it's also in Luke. But I'm going to use Mark chapter 12 to answer this simple question. What's most important to God? Because I think if you remember when we first did this, and you can go back to the podcast at the very first part of the 21 Days of Prayer when we launched this four theme, I talked about the aspect that most people don't have an expectation level. What they have is an effort level. 
They have this major expectation that they want in their life. The problem is they have an effort level that's down here and they don't ever get to what their expectations may be. I'm doing this series on Win the Day just for transparency's sake. I'm not preaching this book, but some of these thoughts that have been inspiring me and I'm coming into God's Word to back it up comes from one of my favorite authors. Well, not one of them. He is my favorite author. Mark Batterson in his brand new book called Win the Day. And it's one of those things that as I've read through that over and I'm going back through it for a second time. And as our staff has been reading through it, and it's just some of these concepts. But one of the things is like, you've got to discover what is most important to you. You've got to figure out what is that frog that you've got to eat today. And one of the ways we can do that is by discovering where our effort level is and what's most important to God. And listen to what he says. In Mark chapter 12, verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. This was the disciples. They were fighting. And seeing that he answered them well, he asked him, talking about he asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? You know what he's asking Jesus? What's the most important thing? Like, what is the greatest thing? What is the one thing I could do that have the greatest impact at the greatest time, which is right now? And Jesus answered, Listen to how he answers them. The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is an amazing scripture that he actually quotes that you can also find in Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you do a much study of God's word, you will find very quickly that in biblical theology, they call this the Shema. The Shema, which is the Hebrew word that literally stands for hear or listen. And because he talks, he says, hear, O Israel, they call this the Shema. Now, again, if I backtrack just for a second, I know not everybody was with us last week, but you can go back to the podcast. We made a commitment last week, if you remember. That if God will speak to us, we will listen and respond. God, if you will show me what it is you want in my life, then I will listen and respond. God, if you will speak to me, then I will listen and respond. And I want you to understand that today, today we're going to talk about this Shema. This is God speaking. And what happens is is Jesus tells them what the most important is, but the whole Shema actually tells you how to do it. And I want to talk about the how. I want to talk about how do we eat this frog. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, let me read the Shema again. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your might. And then listen to what he says as he puts the how behind it. Starting in verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall take of them, or you should talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be on the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. I want you to understand that one of the most basic concepts of winning the day is you've got to start understanding what some of the little things are in life. I've already mentioned this, but if you will make a commitment to do the little things like they're big things, God will do the big things like they're little things. I truly believe that most people struggle, including myself, when it comes to this life, is not the big things. I focus on the big things all the time. Like, I'm consumed with the big things. I constantly am thinking, the problem is it's those little things, right? Like, isn't it amazing 
how we quantitate what's important and what's not. There are some things that are happening in your life that your issue in what you're wanting to get and what you're receiving is not just an effort level. You're just not giving yourself any room to do the little things well. That's what he's talking about in this Shema. He's saying, you know what? If you want to be blessed, you're going to have to love me with all your heart, mind, and soul. How do you do that? And then listen to what he says. He says, you're going to write what I command you today, and it shall be on your heart. You're going to teach your children. You're going to make it a priority. Think about some of the things that we teach our kids. But it's one of those areas that what we practice is what shows up in our life. And I never forget a moment in my life that changed my life trajectory a little bit as far as parenting. It was in a World Series where we were with baseball. We're coming back, and we, we, we did pretty well, and we were coming back. And I remember just thinking and talking to my wife on the way back, and I thought, you know what? At the end of the day, I hope the greatest thing that my son learned from me is not how to throw a baseball. Like, what am I spending the most time in teaching? But for you to understand where we're going today, you have to understand what are the things that are really going to bring about life change to help you win the day. And what he's talking about with this Shema, with loving God with all your heart, mind, body, and strength, he said that's the number one thing. And the only way you get there is it's got to be a priority. It's got to be something that you teach your children. Can I tell you the other things that I wrote down that were straight out of his scripture? He says it's got to be a part of your conversation. If you look at, at verse 7, he says, You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way or when you lie down or when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. You know, the amazing thing that's going on is he's talking about opposites in life. He says, you know what, I want you to talk about these things when you sit down and when you walk. When you lie down and when you rise up. You know what an easier way of putting this? I want this to be something that's on your life all the time. I want it to be a part of everyday life. When you wake up in the morning, I want you to be consumed with it. And when you go to bed in the evening, I want you to be thanking God for the day and praying for it. Whether you're walking around, you want to be talking about it. Or whether you're sitting at a desk, I want you to be, like, no matter what you're doing, I want it to be a part of your life. This law that I'm giving you, this commandment that I'm giving you, oh, hear, oh, Israel, hear, this is God's people. I want you to love God with all your heart, mind, body, and strength. This is the greatest commandment. This is the Shema. This is what's going to translate and change everything. But I think it's the thing that we think a whole lot about on Sunday mornings. But a lot of times it's the furthest thing from our mind. Sunday starting around 1230. That's when the waitress comes up and says, can I take your order? And then we wonder why life looks like it does. We wonder why when we get up in the day and we run through the day, and at the end of the day, we wonder why it ends up looking like it does. And we wonder how this life ends up looking like it looks. And I think the thing that we have to understand in what I wrote in my notes is you need to understand that this aspect of what God is asking you for is very simple. If you're taking notes, write this down. We need to learn to pray 
like it depends on God, but work like it depends on us. We need to pray with faith, understanding that it depends on God. But a lot of times we step out of the box then, don't we? <laughs> you know, I've been praying, Pastor. I've been looking. I mean, I'm just waiting for God. We need to pray like it depends on God, but then you need to get busy. I'm not talking about a work-based faith. Can I chase a real quick rabbit? Scripture is very clear. Salvation is a 100 work of God, not that any man shall boast. You have nothing to do with salvation. You have nothing to do with this relationship with God other than your acceptance of him. But you would fool yourself if you believe that obedience to God is not the key to everything he has for your life. Last week I made this comment. God's will plus God's presence will equal God's favor. A part of that is you making a decision and saying, you know what, I'm going to work towards godly things. I've watched this. I've watched people. I can remember as a small child... I didn't necessarily agree with this statement, and I still don't. But I had somebody look at me, and they say, Mickey, I love you so much. You know, you could do anything that you want to do. If you'll set your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. There was one problem with that. I agree with what they're trying to teach, but anytime you use the word any or everything, it's normally false, right? Because here I am, five foot seven, and you know what? It doesn't matter how bad I want to be an NBA player, there's a real good chance that's not going to happen. Like there are some things that are kind of out of reach. Now I know some of you go, oh no, remember Spud Webb in 1987? And I get what you're saying. But the reality is, is probably a better way of putting that is almost anyone can accomplish almost anything if they'll have the right work ethic, the right time to spend, and they'll work smarter rather than just harder. And I wonder how that fits into our relationship with the Lord. Like, is it possible that some of the things that we're not getting out of life has more to do with our effort level more than to do with what he is as God? Maybe God has something so much more for us if we will learn what he says is the most important thing, which is to love him with all of our heart, mind, body, and strength and make it a part of our every day. And it was amazing how much you could do when something became a priority. Can I ask you the first question of the day? How big of a priority is loving God to you? Is it something you think about every day? When you lie down and when you wake up. Whether you're walking or whether you're sitting. When you're talking to your children or being talked to as somebody's child. When you're trying to memorize and learn things. Like how much time do you spend in God's word compared to all the other things that you spend time in? Like, like I love reading books. But that should never be to the detriment of the book. And if we were to ask the very simple question of your expectation level for God in your life met up with your effort level of who God is in your life, where are they at? See, I believe part of winning the day and understanding everything that God has for you truly is simple. 
It's understanding what is the greatest thing that God would have for you. And then to focus and dwell on these things. You know, in, in Philippians, he says, whatever is perfect, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is kind, dwell or focus on these things. But we wonder how life gets so out of sorts, but it's really not that hard when we look at the things that we dwell on and spend much time with. We wonder how our day gets so backwards when we turn around and we take the biggest things that we got accomplished today and we try to put it off and put it off and put it off because it seems like this undaunting task that we don't want to do. But Jesus didn't stop there. Not only did he talk about the Shema out of Deuteronomy, which was actually in direct accord, he was actually fulfilling a prophecy. He was letting them know that he's talking to these Jewish scribes. He was letting them know that he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. But then he added something to the Shema. Listen to what he said. It was so good. He said, the most important is to hear, O God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then listen to what he adds. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. See, not only does he have the concept of of pray like it depends on God and work like it depends on you, but he also has this amazing concept that he is unleashing who Christ is to the whole world because he's transitioning people from an Old Testament philosophy that God was the God of Israel and letting him understand that now God's the God of every one of your neighbors. Like the Shema in the Old Testament was written to the Israelites. If you were spending a little bit more time in Deuteronomy, he starts talking about how they're going to go battle these Hittites and these Amorites and all these different tribes and they're going to take over this land and they're going to have land that's flowing with milk and honey and they're going to have these different concepts they're going to have houses that they're going to inhabit that they didn't even build they're going to have fields that they're going to eat from that they didn't even plant they're going to have all these things because they're literally going in and taking over somebody else's stuff because it's God's and not theirs and God's giving it to his people but now Jesus is saying hang on now whoever has breath those are my people This is no longer a Jewish thing. This is a humankind thing. What started out as me being the God of one race, one people group, the Jews, now I'm the God of all people groups. And if everybody will love me and learn to love each other, this place will be a whole lot better. Here's the way I I wrote it in my notes. And you've heard me say this before. Because I know this seems so, so basic. Like, this is one of those moments that's kind of like a little, like, really? Like, this is such a little thing. But I promise if you'll do the little things like they're big, God will do the big things like they're little. But if you'll learn to do the natural, God is great at adding the super. You want to see the supernatural in your life? You want to see God do the miraculous in your life? You want to do God, see God do something more? You've got to learn to do the very natural things. What are the natural things? What are the most important things to God? What does he want you to do more than anything else? He wants you to love him. And he wants you to love people. He says there's nothing greater than these commandments. You know, most people, though, the issue we have, the reason why we struggle with this is because we can't identify what's important, right? Going back to the frog. Like, we don't know what the main task is. 
Like even now you're sitting in a service and we don't normally talk about something so basic it seems like. But it's like this is like what's more important to talk about more than loving God and loving people. You're like, oh, but I like last week. Like, that was really good. And I went in the yard, like, at the end. Well, you had, like, that was, like, but this is so basic. Why, like, why is it so basic? Like, why don't we, in fact, Kobe Bryant, i never forget, Kobe Bryant, this mamba mentality that he had. He made this comment. This guy wanted to come and interview him and ask him what made him so great. And he got to there. He said, I'll tell you what, meet me at the gym at 4 a.m. And so this reporter thought he's going to really impress you know, Kobe Bryant, so he shows up a little bit early because he wanted Kobe Bryant to know that, hey, man, I, I got here early, and he shows up at 3.30, going to impress Kobe Bryant, only to find Kobe Bryant was already in the gym in a full sweat, working on the same basic little drills that he taught small children at his basketball camp. And the guy asked Kobe Bryant, he says, does not that make you drive you, I mean, like, drive you crazy? Like, like these little, simple, basic basketball drills, does that not drive you crazy? Like, these are the little things you teach elementary kids. And Kobe, Kobe Bryant's response, I think, is something for all of us to learn from. He said, what makes me great is I never get bored with the basics. Now listen, I'm five foot seven. You give me, I only got to do it one time. I would love one time to come off a baseline, jump up, do a windmill tomahawk dunk, just so one person can see. I ain't going to have anybody around. I just want to dunk the ball one time. You say, Mickey, get a trampoline. I've tried that. I about ate the rim. That's a terrible idea. Don't try that. But I would love, like if I was Kobe Bryant, if I got to the gym early, I would be like dunk mania I would just be like, I would never bypass the slam dunk contest. I wouldn't care about the threes. I would be five slam-a-jamma down in Houston. They would rename that fraternity, put it at my house. I would be the man. But when he showed up to the gym, he was watching Kobe Bryant do basic crossover dribbling drills. Basic bending the knees. Free throw shots following through. And again, what made him great was he didn't get bored with the basic. Let me tell you what's going to make you great in your spiritual life and help you win the day. Quit playing the comparison game. We get so consumed with what we see in everybody else's life that we forget about what the basic things are that got them there. Can I help? Let me, can I, give me two minutes to talk to these amazing students right here and students that are joining us online. Let me give you a little heads up. When you graduate high school and you're getting ready to go hit life, the life that you're living is not going to be where you start out. Your parents or guardians that you're living with, they're in their 40s. They've worked 40 years to get to that point. You're just getting the benefit of it. You don't start at age 18 where they are at 40. So when you think, oh, man, this is great, and I'm going to go to college, and I, I, got my, I got my certificate from college. They told me that if I get this certificate, I make $85,000. They lied. <laughs> you know why they told you that? Because you're going to spend $100,000 getting it. It's a sales pitch. If you'll come and get this degree, then you're going to make more money. Really? Said who? The guy taking your money or the guy giving you money? But I think a lot of times in life, that's where we start, right? We get so called up in where people are and we go, I want that. I want that house. 
I want that truck. I want that pond. I want that land. I want that time schedule. Man, they got it made. My parents, they don't even hardly show up. Like, they got their own schedule. They don't work for the man. They, they are the man. Like, they do their thing. This is awesome. But what you haven't seen was when you were a baby, you would eat and they wouldn't. Like, what you didn't see is when you were going to McDonald's because you were so fired up and you wanted the Happy Meal, that they would just order off the dollar menu and eat a cheeseburger. Like, you didn't see the sacrifice. You didn't see the, see the times that they were pouring into a business, maybe that they were building, and everybody else was getting paid, but they didn't. Because you got to take care of your employees before you take care of the employer. Like, you don't see, all you see is the end, right? Can I put it a little bit simpler? This is key. Listen to me. Quit envying people's outcomes and start imitating their inputs. Quit envying people's outcomes and start mimicking, imitating their input. See, you cannot move forward in life and win the day being consumed with just everybody else's output and not worried about your own input. Let me drive this point home a little bit simpler and I'll be done. In 1984, there was an Olympian named Rowdy. For the record, the next person that gets pregnant and you're going to have a child, our church will personally sponsor that child's life if you will name them Rowdy. That is an amazing boy name. I wish I'd have read this story earlier Braden, you would be rowdy. You would not be Braden. All right? Not saying that would fit. I'm just, you know. But what a great name. But anyway, his name was Rowdy. He was a swimmer. He had one issue. He didn't get into swimming until he was 17 years old. But once he got into it, he very quickly started to excel and started training. And Rowdy, in 1984, not only won three gold medals, but in his Olympic career, set 11 World records. Well, if you know anything about the Olympics, and I talk about this because we're in Olympic season, it's right around the corner. Now, they did announce that nobody can go over there, so, you know, wow, that'll, that'll be great. But they're going to have the Olympics anyway, and you're going to see all these people in a swimming pool, and they're going to be doing all these things. They listen to what's great. Everybody goes, this is awesome. I would love to be the gold medal winner in the Olympics. That would be great. I would love to dunk a basketball. That would be great. Like, we have these things we want to do. Well, Rowdy, in a story with an interview with ESPN, made a comment talking about his swimming career and how did he make up for lost time. And he said, you know what, I would be very curious to see how much did you swim because he only competed in the 1984 Olympics. He had been training prior to that, but in 1980, that's when the United States boycotted the Olympics in Moscow. So therefore, he bypassed those Olympics and he only competed in the 84 Olympics. And he actually sat down and figured out how long he swam to get ready for a 50-meter swim. Are you ready for this? Put a little number in your mind. You know how long, how far he had swam getting ready for a 50-meter race? He figured up the math. He did the pool. Now, realize Olympic pools are 50 meters long. And he roughly had swam 20,000 miles for a 50 meter 
race. In fact, can I read what I wrote down? <laughs> Here's was his comment. Here's what Rowdy Gaines said about his Olympic career. I swam literally around the world for a race that lasted 49 seconds. Do you know what our issue is today? We're more consumed with the outcome than the inputs. We're, we're more consumed with, with trying to, to do something rather than to be something. Can I give you a little, little not-so-good news? <laughs> your systems in your life are designed to give you exactly what you're getting. The systems that you have in your life are great systems. And you are getting exactly what you're putting into it. Whether it's your system at jobs. Whether it's systems at what time you get to church. Or whether it's the systems of what you're getting out of life. And at some point, we got to stop and examine our systems. And if we don't like what we're getting then we got to change something. You say, Mickey, why? Because if you ever have to eat a live frog, I'd encourage you to eat it first thing in the morning. And if you ever have to eat two live frogs, I'd encourage you to eat the biggest one first. You say, Mickey, that sounds great. My issue is, is motivation. Like, I don't, like, how do you get motivated to do that? Like, if I had as much motivation towards my spiritual growth as I do my, my physical career, it'd be a game changer. Like, it's the motivation to eat the frog. How do I get that? Let's hit the pause button. Next week, we will talk about two types of motivation, and we'll use God's Word and talk about this amazing Palm Sunday and what Christ shows us is our ultimate motivation. If you were encouraged by today's podcast and would like to hear more messages, visit us at crossroadscommunitychurch.com.